get up, get, get up, get up. What's up, Mets fans? Welcome back to a big episode. Well, I guess milestone-wise, episode number 150 of the Mets Up Podcast, the official podcast of the New York Mets. Today, we got some things to talk about. I wish we had some bigger news. I wish we had some signings, but as we know, the market has been moving ever so slowly. So we're still going to talk about some rumors and some news that has happened. There have been some moves that the Mets have made. And of course, you know me and James, we got to talk about them as if they're most, the most important moves that have ever happened for the New York Mets, because that's what we do, along with talking about a little bit of Thanksgiving and some stuff that's been going on off the field. This should be a pretty good episode, episode 150. Like I said, make sure you guys are following us on all our social media at MetsDup. That's M-E-T-S-D-U-P on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Again, shout out to Vito for helping us out with those reels and TikTok videos. They have been killing it. You guys need to go check those out. If you're watching us, YouTube channel, New York Mets YouTube, YouTube channel, just go subscribe over there. You'll be able to watch us. And if you're listening, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, wherever you get your podcast, drop us a rating, drop us a review, download, download the podcast, and make sure you subscribe. We do appreciate it. James, how you feeling? What's up? I'm feeling okay, you know, ready for Thanksgiving, excited for that, sad about the Jets, but life is life. Big college football, too, this weekend for both of us. <sighs> Who's a little bit bigger for you? you. Little, yeah. A <laughs> little bit bigger for <laughs> you. Hey, listen, here. <laughs> South Carolina has beat more top five teams than Ohio State this year. So yeah, Sure, I mean, we have our I first mean, opportunity on Saturday. That's it. Yes, yeah, that's it's that soft Big Ten schedule, your first opportunity. Come on. That's not true. But, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that'll be a really fun game. I don't know where I'm going to watch or what I'm going to do for that. I kind of just, like... I just don't want to think about it because it's like so massively important. It's just Ohio State versus Michigan. People don't know. Number two versus number three. Third time in the history of the series. Both teams have been ranked in the top five, and all three have had this since 2006. It's going to be really fun. Now, the last time these two teams were each top three, I was at the game in 2016. It was when Ohio State made the two-touchdown comeback, Curtis Samuel in overtime against Michigan. Oh, God. That was that was one of the best best football games I've ever seen live. But, yeah, you got to win a game. Win a game and buck uh, fish again. Yeah, no, uh, rivalry week in college football is, is awesome. I love, oh, like, South Carolina has against Clemson. Just came off that big win against Tennessee, like I said, so I'd like to carry that and really kill all of Clemson's hopes for possibly making the playoffs, which would be really, really nice. And, uh, well, we, we got Ole Miss and uh, Mississippi State, too, the Egg Bowl on Thanksgiving, That's right? on Thanksgiving. And then Friday, I believe, we have um, UNC versus NC State. Florida versus Florida State. It's just a great yeah. weekend of college football. We're going to have Wisconsin versus Minnesota playing for the Yaks. Yeah. It's one of the and good ones. You still have the NFL, too, on Thanksgiving, which is like, I don't care what the game is. I'm, I'm ready to go for Lions at 11 a.m. whenever that game starts. Yeah. And it's just something fun to talk about your families with, possibly, you know, put a little money on. Like, that's the best part of it. Uh, our producer, John, is saying, don't forget IU Purdue, you scoundrels, which... Who cares about Indiana Purdue? That's I know that's the the all time rivalry that we should have been talking about, but I think Indiana's a, a football school. I wouldn't call it ever that. Indiana's so bad at football. Shout out John for actually willingly, voluntarily <laughs> attending that game. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely nuts. <laughs> All right, but I guess we got to talk about baseball now, right? Yeah, let's talk about baseball. I mean, I, w- I wish we did have a little bit more important big things to talk about. All this stuff is kind of important, and it's own way it's not necessarily groundbreaking moves like I, I wish we could talk about you know the Mets making a big trade or a big signing or bringing someone back but we don't have that right now we do have a couple guys that will no longer be with the Mets though in the upcoming season it seems two names uh, one that you guys probably know or remember a little bit more fondly Dom Smith of course he was non-tendered along with Sean Reed Foley uh, kind of crazy never really expected this especially after Dom had those 
hot couple seasons with the Mets that it would end this way. But I mean, the writing was kind of on the wall. Yeah, never expected this until like the beginning of this past season. Yeah, I mean, like <laughs> I'm saying, like go back to when Dom really was like, I mean, the player that we all thought he was going to be, and you were like, oh wow, what a great problem we have. We have two amazing hitting first basemen. And obviously, it didn't end that way with Dom. Uh, wish the best for him wherever he does end up. I'd see that there are teams that are interested, so that's good for him. Yeah, we're going to look back at Dom Smith's 2020 season where he like led the league in barrel rate, and he had, like I think, slugging percentage, like extra base hits, all these crazy things yeah, in didn't the Dom have short like season. 40 extra base hits? Wasn't it like 10 homers and like 25 doubles or something like that in the 2020, short season? He had, he had 10 homers, one triple, 21 doubles. That's an insane 50-game stretch. It's more, 993 OPS in 50 games. It's disgusting. That's one of the best stretches we've seen from a Mets hitter like ever in 50 games. Yeah. And there's been so there was so much talk when it happened on Twitter about like, oh, we may, we missed the window of the trade Dom. Yeah, of course you missed the window of the trade Dom. That was years <laughs> ago. And the, when we were in the window of the trade Dom is when we actually needed him as a player. And first baseman don't get traded for anything at all. We're going to talk about a guy in a few minutes as we go about the rest of the league's non-tenders in Luke Weaver who was traded with Carson Kelly for Paul Goldschmidt <laughs> like five years ago now, four years ago, when he was still maybe 29, 30 years old. First baseman, including the elite ones, don't exactly have much value in the trade market. That's a tired narrative I want to stop. Definitely, definitely. And then to just talk about Sean Reed fully, the last piece of the Steven Matz trade that is that was with the Mets organization. Officially wipe our hands clean of everything, Steven Matz. It's over. We'll never forget the Sean Reed Foley run, the beginning of 2021, where he was just striking people out and going crazy on the mound. He had the mustache. Yeah. It was it was a fun time in history. No, he was a that was uh the first year of the podcast too. It was a fun little little meme folk legend for the New York Mets for about a week. Yeah, the Mets the podcast grew with Sean Reed Foley. Yeah, exactly. That's how you would say. It. But like you said, it was the non-tender deadline, so there was a lot of really good players that have been non-tendered since then. And really good the stretch. List, well, okay, fine. Players fine, fine, with fine. players with potential value. Players that do something really good or could be really good if treated properly. Yeah. Which I I feel like I want to start with Alex Reyes because I feel like that is one that the Mets should definitely circle, star whatever it is, just because one, New Jersey kid. I know he's technically from the DR, but he grew up in Elizabeth, played for full count baseball at one point, shout out to full count, because that's who I played for as well. Never played with him, caught a bullpen next to him though, and I was terrified. I was like, this massive Dominican 17-year-old kid's throwing 95. What if he what if he just lets one loose and it hits me and I'm trying to catch another pitch? It was terrifying. But this was a guy who just a few years ago, right? Was it 2020, 2021 even, right? Yeah, yeah, he was like one of the best relievers in baseball statistically. I know he had the the walk thing, but statistically wise and yeah. stuff, he was nasty. First half of the year, he certainly was. And he completely fell off a cliff once like July and August came around. And I mean, he the whole thing with Alex Reyes, and it always has been while he was an elite prospect, while he has a great pedigree, while he always has incredible tools, incredible stuff, he just can't really ever stay healthy. Yeah. And he's just he's had he had a shoulder issue that kept him out all of 2022. It probably led to a lot of his issues at the end of the year of fatigue in 2021. And then the Cardinals decided to the organization he's been with his entire career decided to finally just give up at 28 years old. So if there's anyone to take a shot on, you probably don't. I mean, he has so much stuff. You might even still have to offer him a real contract. It probably won't so. just be like an invite only, but he's. He's a guy where if you think you can get him healthy, he's just he's so worth the flyer because he's still going to be throwing high nineties with a wipeout slider. No, definitely, definitely. There was, I mean, like this this list does have players that you guys will all know. These are all notable guys. We're not we're not giving you the Chad Cools of the world on this list today. I don't think. No, not yet. But I mean, 
Brian Anderson, longtime Marlins, always been a, a, just a solid player, unspectacular, also some injury issues. Yeah, no, I've, I've really liked Brian Anderson. Like when he first came up, I was like, oh, this dude's going to be like a really solid ball player. Now, I think I might have remembered him being better than he actually was because yeah. OPS plus wise, he was never like even in the 120 range. He was like 116, I think his highest. But like as, as a guy who can play third base and has a cannon from the outfield and has played the outfield relatively well for a guy who's not an outfielder, like, yeah, worth a shot. I mean, at one point, he did have OPSs hovering around the 800s. Like that's that's a player that's worth a shot. He also is kind of funny. I feel like he's a guy who, like, in our, like, thought chamber, we've also made better because we'll always talk about him being a guy who's kind of good. So, yeah. like, as we have conversations with each other, we're like, yeah, Brian Anderson, he's not really that bad. Even though the last few years it hasn't been that good. But yes. all, all Mets fans know he has a cannon for a right arm. He could play third. He could play corner outfield. Like, he's, he's, he's a fine ball player having a club. Ryan Maltapia is another guy who's just, yeah. he's, not, he's not good at all, but he's, like, functional. Which is kind the of the most cool. electric player in Major League Baseball. He's an electric factory. He doesn't even he can't even hit the ball kind of hard. Like I think Bradley Zimmer, who was also non-tendered by the Blue Jays, is still probably more exciting because at least he hits the ball harder, even though he strikes out more. Toppy has cool things; he doesn't ever strike out. Tuki Tucson is a guy who, like, he just still has like an unbelievable, unbelievable curveball. It'll never go that away. Is, that is your Rymel Toppy. I mean, listen, I'm I'm all on Tuki Tucson too, but like I'm. <laughs> Everyone has been waiting for Tuki Tucson to finally break through. I'm not saying he's ever going to like break through. All is going to happen, but he has a really good curveball still. A split finger that's about average. He just never, ever, ever had. And it's going to be a, a pattern you're going to see most of these pitchers who are non-tendered. Any kind of discernible fastball at all. He picked up the sinker yeah. in the last two years. It also just wasn't that good. But like I don't know, he's a, if he's a, if he's a full-time reliever and he's throwing as hard as he can, which for Tuki Tucson is probably going to be like 94, 95. Yeah, maybe sinker with movement, sinker curveball, mix in a splitter. I don't know. There's, there's, there's possibilities for him not to just be a guy who doesn't play baseball anymore. Wasn't because uh, you were talking about guys that maybe don't have a plus fastball. Didn't so Braylon Marquez got DFA. Didn't he have a plus fastball? I think plus, looking plus, back plus. at his he had prospect grades, I think he had an 80 for his fastball, which is the highest you can get. And I believe it was from the left side, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he's a lefty. Yeah. yeah. So I think those just injuries probably have zapped him the last few years. I know this year he was like on the precipice of coming back. And got another injury, also a shoulder issue, and Cubs non-tendering. I mean, I don't. Know, I mean, you could, you know, you, it's been it's been a couple of years since he pitched, but he once had an eighty grade fastball, seventy on fan grabs. I mean, why not? Who who cares? Triple digit velocity any time in his life, it's probably fine. It took Daniel Bart seven years to find his way again, <laughs> yeah. and now he's the league closer. You tell me, there's no chance of Braylon Marquez? I'll, I won't hear it. How about a guy that uh, we or, or fans might remember more as a hitter than a pitcher? We got the opposite of the Rick Ankeel where the pitcher becomes a hitter. We got Anthony Goes, who got DFA'd by Cleveland, right? Cleveland DFA'd him? Yes. Or Cleveland. I guess non-tendered him technically. He throws like 100, right? He's got it up to 102 in the past. And he was someone who came on very strong at the end of the 2021 season for the then Indians and now Guardians. And he just, he still throws very, very hard. The fastball did taper down a little bit more this year. It got down to average about 97, but he still crept into the triple digits. He just, as a guy who was a hitter, became a pitcher. He has no command whatsoever. Okay. And it's like, it's been such a project at this point. And like, and like when he came in that brief period, 2021, he was striking out more guys and walking significantly less. He didn't throw that many pitches. I think he threw like 10 or so innings combined. But this year, the walk rate really, really, really went up. And hitters were finding more of a way to see it and hit it which I guess is because the guy never pitched him before, and then they had a little bit of tape on him. I mean, you, you again, you could convince me. Like, yeah, what, 100, mile, 100 miles an hour, why not? And then there's a couple of starting pitchers, too, I think that are worth noting and talking about. Luke Weaver and Ryan Yarbrough being the two biggest, I would say, that got 
uh, non-tendered that could have a spot on a major league roster. Maybe could be the Mets as well. Luke Weaver, who was with St. Louis. Then he went to Arizona, like you said, in the Goldschmidt trade. Then he went to the Royals. Then he went to the Mariners. He's kind of become a little bit of a journeyman. Another guy who cannot stay healthy at all, yeah. but ha- at one point was a top prospect. Definitely. I was also in ghost to the heaven elbow thing that was going on too at the end of the year. Oh, okay. All right. It might even be more serious, but there's all, there's all the little blurbs giving me, but that's me about Weaver, right? Yes. Weaver. Yeah. We, but Weaver's just very similar. Weaver's always had a great changeup. He's never been able to find enough of the secondaries to get by. And the fastball is just like not fast or good. Like, I think mm. there's still probably is hope for him, but I don't know. You really have to get creative around guys who don't have a whiffable fastball or like a yep. top, top notch sinker. And then Yarbrough, I, you got to have something for Yarbrough. And I know John, John I mean, has been dying for us to talk about Ryan Yarbrough. He's been, ever since the non-tender stuff was coming up, John's like, Ryan Yarbrough, Ryan Yarbrough, Ryan Yarbrough. He's, he's all in. I'm totally in on Yarbrough because the curveball is still very good. And while the fastball and sinker has never been good, he has a great cutter. The cutter, the cutter is able to induce soft contact and miss enough bats. And I don't think that there's many other teams actually in baseball who would have non-tendered Yarbrough. I think he'll actually have a pretty competitive market here. He might even he might even sneak his way into a two year deal. Like I'm not even kidding. Like I don't <laughs> Get think this, <laughs> Yeah, like this, this is probably one of the better things for Ryan Yarbrough, Yarbrough's career. I I would take a flyer on Yarbrough. I feel like every single year too, his stats would always get totally screwed up because he'd have to go to the Yankee Stadium. He'd give up eight runs in two innings just one time. Yeah. He's, he's solid. You get him in City Field, play second nice, catch some fly balls. It'd be very nice. Yeah, no, Ryan Yarbrough would definitely be good. And then last pitcher, just because it's a fun name, Kyle Funkhauser. Uh, I want, I want, we, we love nicknames on this podcast. We've given players many. I want the Funk Man, just as a big Curb Your Enthusiasm fan. Gotta have the Funk Man. And Funkhauser's like not too far removed from being like kind of decent a couple years ago. Yeah, no, prospect he's got some pedigree. Stuff for the Tigers. Yeah, so definitely some more interesting hitters though have come out there. Edwin Rios, the guy you talked about the last episode, who just hits bombs, love corner him, infielder, can't really play defense from the Dodgers, strikes out a lot. Cody Bellinger is the obvious name that everyone and their mother is talking about to the Mets right now. But while Cody Bellinger could be a fun project to take on, I don't think like him, who kind of has fallen apart in the last few years in Los Angeles, is really looking to come to New York where he will be booed to high hell after like six strikeouts in three games. It feels like it would be not the smartest decision. Like if I'm Cody Ballinger and his agent, as much as, you know, I mean, you want to go get paid. And I think it's going to be a competitive market. A lot of teams are going to want him because it is and an he, MVP he, just a few years ago. Also said he only wants a one-year deal. So he thinks yeah. he's going to be able to get back, whether that's or right just or wrong. Go back, go back to your old swing. Whatever you do, just go back to what worked when you were the MVP. You changed it and you haven't hit since. He still plays killer defense out in center field. And he does still hit the ball really hard. It's just... He's got holes in his swings that get exposed and everyone throws it there and he st- keeps falling for it. I also, I don't want Cody Bellinger because I want Brandon Nimmo. Yes. I, that's what I want to say too. Bellinger also screwed up his shoulder in that uh, celebration in the 2020 playoffs. I, it, yeah. when he, like, I don't remember who he did it with. It might have been Muncie where they just like clanked and he just popped it out. And he, that, of a hitter like Bellinger, like, especially when you got to talk about holes in your swings, like that's probably why the swing has the hole now because the shoulder can't really move the way it once did. Well, remember what happened to Conforto after he hurt his shoulder. It took him a while to figure out and get things back, too. So, like, yeah, it's not an easy injury to come back from. There's also been so many of these, like, little moments with Bellinger over the last few years where it just seemed like he was just – him and the Dodgers were so done with each other. I feel like it was during Sunday Night Baseball sometime this year, and they were just, like, talking with Mookie, Mookie Betts. And they were like, so who on the Dodgers needs a style upgrade? And oh, he was yeah. Like, he was like, Cody. Cody, for sure. And Bellinger was right there. He looked at, like – 
He was so sad. Like his teammate said that. He looked like dejected. I felt sorry for the guy. It was like, why do I need a style upgrade? Yeah, no, he's he's still definitely too talented to be as bad as he has been the last few years. It's just I think gotta gotta get focused on the game. Got remember when he shaved his head like he did the buzz cut? And we were like, that's big for Cody Bellinger's game. Because that says he's like, I don't I don't care about the looks, I'm here for ball. But I don't know. He's just gotta gotta get back to just playing the game, having some fun. There's gotta be some type of some coach out there who could fix it. Like we saw Matt Chapman who looked like he was completely off, like off the deep end would never be a competitive hitter again. This year he was sniffing 40 home runs. It looked like for a while. It's just, these guys are so good. They have such high pedigree. Like you can't have, I guess I mean, maybe you can, like maybe this is the end, but I just can't admit that someone who had as good of a season as Cody Ballinger had as good of the first few seasons. Well, isn't even can't ever get to within like 70% of that top again. And it would be like a uh, be almost an all star player. <laughs> but like who like is there even a historical comp you could think of off the top of your head to a guy who was like one of the best players in baseball and within three years fell apart to being un like basically a, like not rosterable for the team that he was on before? It's really hard because usually that happens because of age. But Cody Bellinger is relatively age or obvious injury. Like I don't yeah, know, like Sizemore athletic prime. Yeah, but Sizemore was hurt. Sizemore yeah. kept getting hurt all the time, so he'd be the closest thing. But. The injuries, the injuries and in staying on the field, because every time he played, he still was good, Grady Sizemore. He just couldn't stay healthy. I'm sure there's an obvious guy that we're missing. And I if, mean, like the obvious guys are like pitchers. This happens to pitchers all the yes, time. But ben it's just Sheets, like, but he got hurt too all the time. Matt Harvey. Yeah, Matt Harvey. That's probably the best comp there is. <laughs> Here's a good one. Maybe like Pablo Sandoval. Yeah, but that was... That was a guy who got paid and just did not care anymore. He's like, I got my money. I'm literally not going to try in the slightest. Remember, what was he texting during games and drinking yeah. in the locker room? Was he a part of that? He was having a good... No, I think that was after that. That was... um, who was, I think it was like Lackey. I mean, he also gave us one of the greatest gifts in baseball history of taking a swing and the belt popping off of his, yeah. his waist, which is... If that tells you anything about Pablo Sandoval. Oh, here's a good one. I just found scrolling through uh, some Twitter. Someone said, Carlos Bayerga. Yeah, sure. That's actually, yeah. actually not a bad one at all. I mean, he was good. I know. I, I'm not gonna pretend like I remember watching that guy play. But no, no. But I know he had one of those like insane seasons that like like the, like the old people talk about. He was a Met, right? Wasn't he a Met? Probably. Yeah. Only, he had one year. <laughs> no, he had back. He had back to back years in '92 oh. and '93. What? I've got a great name. Oh. Bobby Bonilla. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, Bonilla. I think had a longer a longer stretch. I was gonna thought you were gonna say Jason Bay. Jason but, um, Day is another good one, yeah. Bayerga in 1992 and 93 with Cleveland. Had, in two years, he had 40 homers. He had over 200 runs, uh, 200 RBIs, almost 200 runs scored. And the 10 war in two years, 300 average each year. Okay, this is the one. And he just, yeah. it, never, it, can't, it never happened again. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. Usually when you're good, you, you stay good for like a couple of years. You stay relevant for a little bit, you know? At least while you're like in your physical prime. And like bizarre. you said, outside of injuries and stuff, it's really, really hard to find. Uh, uh, Brady Anderson, but we know why with yeah. him. <laughs> and then, yeah, get all the steroid guys, Sean Green. Yeah. Luis Gonzalez. It come, then we got, there's a couple other guys who I just want to talk about briefly because something we talk about a lot on this show, this, we'd love to see this mess roster really attack versatility. Guys who could do a lot of different things. Guys who, you know, are athletes. And I think two guys who were released, I'm not saying these guys should ever start or ever be trusted, or I'm not going to tell you guys they're ever going to make an all-star team, but Garrett Hampson, Willie Castro, Harold Castro, the Castro brothers from Detroit, and Garrett Hampson, the longtime darling of the fantasy baseball community from Colorado, all of these guys at least can play the infield and the outfield at an average level. Yes. And are Which, faster than major league average. If you look at the Mets roster, what do we need? We need a little bit of that versatility. A little bit, a little bit, little bit of speed, a little bit of contact to be good. Yeah, I was going to say they're athletes at the absolute worst. Some guys that I like just that are straight up outfielders. 
I'll never give up on Franchi Cordero and no, Aristides Aquino. They no, just they do things too elite. Like the the way that they hit a baseball harder than almost anybody. The only guys that hit it harder really are Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton, who are two of the largest humans to play the game of baseball and strongest. And Franchi and Aristides Aquino continue to just mash baseballs. The problem is they don't hit the baseball very often, like almost never. So that's where it becomes difficult. But Aquino. He's actually a sick outfielder, too. He's an incredible Amazing. athlete with a hose, and he plays a great right field. So for a guy that would be, you got to assume both of these are going to be spring training invite guys, right? I would for think. For sure. And Aquino, like, we've actually seen him do it. Like, he had, like, one of the best month stretches we can remember him for in the last five years. Like, literally. Ever. Like, why, why not just take a shot? Especially, like, the Reds, it just seems like they've really, they're really cutting costs in terms of player development since they let... Kyle Body and a lot of the driveline guys go. So, I mean, might, might as well get him in with some real coaches, see what we could do. 100%. And then the last guy I'll mention, Adam Engel, because me and you, if you go back <laughs> to the old days, if you go back to pre, you know, talk about the first 25, 30 episodes of this podcast. Adam Engel is someone who we were like would fit so well on this Mets team as a backup center fielder for a guy who actually has a ceiling too of like, hey, I could hit a home run. I'm not just a defensive replacement. And he's just he again, he's an athlete. Like I'd love for this Mets team to get some get some speed in the clubhouse. Angle plays a good center field. And like the White Sox do almost everything wrong so from, wrong. A, team, from a team building perspective. So like cutting a guy like Angle, who like while he's 30 years old, last year was still 90th percentile in speed, 90th percentile in outfielder jump, and 80th percentile in outs above average from center fielders. Definitely can't hit. No, I know he can't hit. There's no power. Way. He's got power. He's I think got power, he, though. I think last year in, in two home runs and 250 at best. No, but you got to look. He hits the ball hard. Listen, all he needs is the barrels. The totally, actually, the barrels totally fell apart last year. He was a guy who was sitting like five, eight percent barrel rate 2021. Last year, he hit three barrels the whole season. That's the TLR effect. Tony LaRusso said, you're a fast guy. You hit the ball on the ground. You don't <laughs> put the ball in the air ever. It doesn't matter how hard you hit it or how far. All right, bring it out of an angle, too. Let's fill the whole bench with these guys. We can make Let's a team. Let's do it. Yeah, no, we can make a team. And, I mean, Mets also did bring in some pieces this week or in the past week since we last talked to you that do help fill out this team a little bit. And I know there's one guy in particular who you, James Shano, have been right, talking about, raving about forever. Ironically, yeah, but it's the other guy in this deal that was more exciting. The Mets traded a uh, young prospect, Franklin Sanchez, to the Marlins for two pitchers who were on their roster bubble, Eliezer Hernandez and Jeff Brigham. Hernandez is a guy who I just kind of like fell in love with a few years ago because he had such a weird, he has such a weird slider. It, it's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. It's like a slider that acts like a changeup, which is hilariously similar to Edwin Diaz. He just throws everything significantly less hard because it's Eliezer Hernandez. He's had tons of arm problems, but he had a season in the PCL. I believe it was in 2019, and that was the year in the PCL, like like Major League Baseball, the ball was really flying. He gave up like no home runs in 50 innings. Like he was adept at keeping the ball in the yard. And a lot of that was due to the fact that hitters could not score up his slider. It doesn't really slide that much or drop that much. And again, it acts a lot like a changeup. It, it, it just, it's very, very, it's very, very easily confused with his fastball, the way they spin off his hand. He has like one of those very good, like tunneled, you know, reverse mirrored spin axes. And yeah. he's very fun. One of the first like long form articles I ever wrote years and years ago is about Eliezer Hernandez. Brigham is a guy who's interesting because his sliders actually lights out. And he's been someone who's bounced back and forth between the bullpen and the rotation for the last few years because the Marlins like always do that thing in August where like we're out of pitchers. <laughs> we, we don't have any left. I don't know where they all went, but we have none left besides, besides Sandy Alcantara, <laughs> who congratulations to him on winning the uh, Cy Young Award. But Brigham has an, an absolute lights out slider. And if they just manicure that pitch and just say, you want, we want you to throw this like 50, 55, 60% of the time and then mix in the other stuff, I think he can be a plus reliever. I do think both these guys will be on the major league roster for most of the year as well. 
30% K rate relatively for Jeff Brigham last year. That's nothing, that's no slouch. Sliders really, really good. I would, I would challenge anybody here to watch a video of the sliders. Just go on Savant, search, click Jeff Brigham and slider. It's a, it's a pitch we can move and it has some heat. And then the last guy we got was William Woods, who was uh, in the Atlanta Braves system. Six foot three right-handed pitcher, 23 years old. He's still pretty young. Pretty good fastball. I think it's like sits in the mid to high 90s-ish, and I think can get it up higher at times, especially if they're going to use him as a reliever, which I think is probably the best case scenario for him. He's really a two-pitch pitcher fastball slider. Woods only threw three pitches in the major leagues last year, but it, and the fastball and the slider, they both graded out as well above average. The fastball especially, which if you're seeing a fastball that has that kind of physics, even if you see it five or six times, you could probably just tell. So, looks. I mean, this is, I mean, we've talked about this a lot. This is like a really cool way that we see this Mets front office building a bullpen where we know they're going to be pushed up against the luxury tax threshold. We know there's a lot of superstars we're looking at, a lot of guys we want re-signed, a lot of guys we want signed. Getting guys through potentially three medium leverage relievers basically for free just before Thanksgiving when no one's paying attention. That could be a huge huge windfall for the team. It's awesome. Awesome. And you guys know whenever we've, we've talked about these guys before in years past and what do you know, they ended up being pretty good. So I'm just saying, keep an eye out for the random relievers, especially that James really takes akin to. Jeff Brigham, baby. I mean, again, Hernandez is my guy. I just have a soft place in my heart for him, but I think Brigham could be the star of that deal. Definitely, definitely. And then there were some rumors flying around, too, with Mets and and big-name guys that you might be a little bit more familiar with. Let's start off with the one that I think everybody wants to talk about, which is Justin Verlander. Uh, I saw a crazy NJ.com article, by the way. You bring this up. That had a, a headline that said, Mets losing ace to Dodgers. Who's that ace, James? Who would you I, think by reading that headline? I would assume that it'd be Jacob deGrom, multiple Cy Young Award winner with the Mets and who's been with the team since he came up in you know, 2004, 2014. Yeah, I mean, shout out to the NJ.com writer. Well done. That's, that's, a, that's a great job in getting some clickbait and getting some eyes and being like, oh my God, what's happening? No, it's about a player that's never played for the New York Mets. That'd be Justin Verlander, who this week the Mets have definitely been tied to and obviously coming off the World Series in the Cy Young Award year. The name's got some heat around it, without doubt. And, I mean, it's pretty obvious he's still really, really good. Which is crazy, because there's, like, remember when we were doing my rankings for the pitching, and I get your help a lot of the time with this, too. Verlander wasn't on the list, and it was just like, we didn't think he was going to be able to throw this many innings as he did, coming off of Tommy John as a 40-year-old, but he really did look super strong last season. He did, And the usage was almost the thing that was the most impressive, because he didn't really miss as many bats as we're used to seeing Justin Verlander miss in a major league season. His K rate dropped down 27.8%. That's the lowest it's been since 2017, where it looked like his entire career was falling apart. The thing about what was so impressive about Verlander was just the innings. Like He found a way through 175 innings his first year off of Tommy John surgery as a 39-year-old. But with that, it did seem like he did kind of run out of gas towards the end. He had to take the two or three weeks off in August because I think Dodgers just... The Astros just knew what was going on. We're like, we got to get the injury out of the way right now and get, get ready for the, the postseason run. But it is, it would be, it would be, it would be interesting to have, you know, two, two 40 year old aces in the same staff. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think Jacob deGrom is still the guy that I want. I, I want Jacob deGrom over Verlander. And I think it's also a little bit of, you know, Justin Verlander's people aren't dumb either. You got to throw the Mets name out into everything because that's the team with all the money. <laughs> and I think we're, we've seen that now for multiple off seasons with multiple, multiple players. It's just, and ever, ooh, like remember like two weeks ago for no good reason, free agency just opened up. Mets are just in Andrew Heaney. Like, yeah. is, that, is that true? Who knows? Is that Trey true? Tur- Trey Turner. And to be fair. Trey Turner linked uh, to Mets. 
I think all these guys are also interested in the Mets too. Like I, sure. I think this is a place, you know, Steve Cohen, we know what he can do. And the Mets were a good team last year, especially it didn't end well, but they were a good team. Like it's, it's New York. It's a big market. It's a winning environment. I, I, I get it. It makes sense. All, all the dots connect here, but same thing until you really, until John Heyman starts putting out a tweet every five minutes about getting closer and closer and closer. These deals aren't actually really that close yet. Well, I also think this is a function of us fans not remembering what off-seasons have ever looked like because the last off-season was ruined by the lockout. The off-season before, we were coming off the COVID season, so we didn't really know what the heck was actually going to happen with the Major League Baseball season. The off-season before that, COVID hadn't happened yet, but we had like Bryce Harper and Manny Machado completely dominating the free agent space. What? No, that was that was two before. So the, the COVID off-season was Zach Wheeler – and Garrett Cole, right? Yeah, right, was right. Okay, Cole? so that was that was normal offseason. But offseason that before one, 2020. I think that one, though, if I remember correctly, kicked off right after Thanksgiving. I think once Thanksgiving well, happened, everything got hot with the winter that, meetings. That's what my point was going to be, that these offseasons move cyclically because the people who are running these teams are also like human beings. So like as the season ends, everyone takes their takes their time, they relax. The winter meetings are until December 7th, I believe, this year because that's the day of the Rule 5 draft. That traditionally is how they start the winter meetings. Last year, all those Mets moves happened the Friday after Thanksgiving, the, the Marte, Canna, Escobar night. But that was also because I think people knew there was time, there was racing against the clock with the lockout impending. So I don't, I, I mean, again, I, I'd love to jinx this, and that's that's kind of my, <laughs> my place in the show anyway. But there probably will be a move or two next week, but it doesn't seem like we're going to get really anything until that second week of December when the winter meetings kick off. Yeah, that's when these I mean, guys are all in the same room, everyone's talking, a little, little chatter, a little chit chat. And that's when things are going to start to move. And relatively, the market can't move until the dominoes fall, unless you're trying to like jump the market like some guys have in the past. But until Jacob DeGrom and Aaron Judge move, it's really hard for these players like a Verlander, like a Carlos Rodon, like a Trey Turner to figure out exactly what their value is and where they can go. Yeah, it's also just strange that in one offseason, we have arguably the best position player in baseball and arguably three of the seven, eight best pitchers in the whole thing right now are free agents at the same time. So you kind of got to wait for the Giants to move before everything else can fill in. Definitely, definitely. And I think once it starts, I think it's going to be guns blazing. Well, that's how every offseason be... works. You know that. You make your video yeah. every single time a guy gets signed. And there's always that one week you're like, I can't, I can't make enough videos. Now <laughs> I'm, I'm done. I'm like, I've made three videos today. I'm sorry. You're going to have to wait on who's, who's a player that's like good that if it was a slow day, I'd, I'd make a video on. Who would that be? Maybe Jamison Tyone. Like, Jam yeah, Jamison Tyone. And that's pro segue, James. Well done. Well done. Well done. Clap it up. 150 episodes. Yeah, we're, we're experts now. We're pros. This is our third year of doing a podcast, actually, technically, which that, technically. that feels a little bit weird. Yeah, I don't like that at all. But Jamison Tyone, <laughs> another name. Just like every other free agent who has been linked with the Mets, I think he is. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. He's a super realistic option yeah. because one, he's just trending back in the right direction after two years of Tommy John. He has obvious adjustments to make, like we said last time, just throwing some more of that off-speed stuff. And this is just like a personal psychological thing. Like he's now lived in New York for two years, so I bet, and he's been East Coast guy through and through. So I do bet that there is a. I gave Pittsburgh East Coast. I should really say just Eastern. Yeah, was... yeah east, east, east of the Mississippi, I should say. What? Well, oh, wow. He's from, uh, he's from the Woodlands. That's in Texas. I didn't realize that. He's a Texas boy. That makes sense, Texas boy. That makes sense. I mean, the dude's built like he's made to like bale hay. Like he just looks like a guy who's like just, he's got big shoulders, strong dude. If anybody could come back off of two Tommy John surgeries and cancer, it is Jameson Tyone. And, and he, he's, I think he's just a good option. He's kind of exactly what we need. 
Yeah, no, he, I mean, he had a career low walk rate or second lowest walk rate of his career at 4%, which you got to love. Like, he didn't strike out the world. I don't think that's ever probably going to be his game necessarily. But the guy who limits base runners and keeps the games close and is probably going to eat some innings for you, I mean, that'd be pretty good. And God would imagine you'd benefit out of getting, you know, getting out of the American League East and pitching in City Field as well. He had a very bad home run rate this year, so I think it would help him to leave Yankee Stadium and come to City Field a lot. And he got curveball, slider, forcing fastball are all pretty, pretty, pretty good pitches. And again, not coming here to be the ace. We still got Scherzer. We still got whoever else is going to step in in these roles as guys who take in more of maybe the Taiwan Walker, Chris Bassett roles, whether or not those guys come back. You got to look at those similar type players as well. Yeah, you, you got to fill this out. Remember, we said at the first offseason episode, 900 innings left this team in one second. And they got some of them back now with Carrasco, and they brought in a couple of these relievers who could possibly end up being swing men. But we need lots and lots of innings. So we can't. you can't expect to get all the aces. We're not going to get Verlander, DeGrom, and Rodon in the same rotation. You probably get <laughs> one of I would, them. Yeah. I would love to. I would, <laughs> be, I would love to. It would be cool. Honestly, if, if we're going plan A, that's plan A. I know we know Steve Cohen listens to this show, so that's Plan A and Billy Epler as well. They 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 actually sit by the, the speaker waiting for the midnight drop, and they list their first things to listen to it. Like, oh, now we can proceed. A lot but of yeah, big that, names listen to the show. That's all plan the big a. names. All the big names listen to this show. So many. <laughs> plan A: Rodon, Verlander, Degrom, all three. Plan B: Two of the three. Pick any two yeah. you want. Plan C, plan C, get one of them, and then get Jameson Tyone. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. And then you know what? If, we, if that's our Plan C, okay, fine, we'll be all right. And, you know, that's, I mean, that's, hey, that's that's the nature. That's where we are in the offseason right now. Maybe next week there might be a signing, and the week after that we'll be nearing GM meetings, and then we'll be in the thick of it. And, of course, we will be talking about everything that goes on. And if there is any big move, we're dropping an emergency episode. Don't worry, it will come if anything is officially happening that you guys need to know about. When we talked about this, was it last week? Did we make a prediction who we think the first free agent is going to sign? You still you sticking with your prediction still? Who's going to be the yeah. first big domino to fall? I think I said it was either Tyone or Heaney, right? Yeah. No, well, no, the big name, big name, I thought you mentioned. Oh, the first big name. I said, I said, I think I said DeGrom. Yeah, you th- and yeah. I think I said Judge, right? I think I said I think, Judge. Yeah, I think, I think I'm still feeling that. I think that we're just going to wake up one morning and DeGrom's either going to be a Mether or Ranger. Okay. It's going to be like 3 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, your phone's going to buzz and you're going to be like, and then you look at it. <laughs> Let's get let's get a watch party again. I wouldn't mind that. I wouldn't mind a little uh, a watch party over some big free agents attached to the Mets. That'd be fun. No, but moving on now. One other thing that we did want to talk about with you guys this episode, and I'm sure we will talk about it again when it's getting closer to the time these are revealed. But the Hall of Fame ballots just dropped, and one of the funniest things about the Hall of Fame ballots is just seeing the guys who are on it because be- yes. before guys drop off, which I think you need to believe you need at least ten percent of the vote to stay on your first year of eligibility. That first I think year, it's either I think it might be five percent. I think it's really low to stay on. Nevertheless, there are so many guys who will pop on the first year that they're eligible who will, of course, never, ever, ever be on it again. It's one of the most fun things to take keep an eye on as a baseball fan. It's like just being on the ballot is an honor in and of itself because you're good enough to even possibly be considered to be one of the greatest players to ever play to be enshrined in the Hall of Fame. Now the Hall of Fame's kind of some people take it or leave it, especially with how it's been handled recently and the players that do make it and don't. But I, I don't know. To me, as a baseball fan, like I still think it's a pretty cool and special event and occasion kind of thing. Definitely. And one player who I think is very near and dear to the Mets fans who's on this ballot this year for the first time is Carlos Beltran. Yes. Someone who I know he's like right now the projections have him kind of close to the line, but probably not getting over it as a first ballot, which I – I agree he's not a first ballot Hall of Famer, but it means he probably definitely will get in. I think a lot of it, too, and this is unfortunate, I think the whole Astros cheating scandal is really going to make some people just... You think? 
make him work it out a little bit longer than he really has to. I, I think don't know so. about that. I don't know. I think so. They're like, not that there's an example that needs to be made, but we do know how these writers get a lot of times. And there's a lot of like, well, I'm the baseball writer. I get to determine your fate. And now that you cheated and we know about it and that you weren't nice to me when you gave me an interview, I'm not going to vote for you for three years, even though I think you are a hall of famer, which is the most stupid thing about this whole process. I could rant about it, but I do also know that John has been dying to rant about this. And I would, I'm, he texted us earlier. I would love to hear what John's rant is on the Hall of Fame because he's had this one in his pocket for a couple weeks, I feel like. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's up, guys? There he is, Johnny Johnny Stats. How you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm uh, actually miraculously uh, feeling a lot better. Uh, was kind of fighting a little bug the last couple of days here, so just in time for Mets stuff. A lot of rest, a lot of relaxation. Thank God. Good to be here with you guys. Um, James, I got to say, go blue, but I do have your boys on right now. Are you watching your boys right now on the hardwood, or I guess it's still football season? No, and, I'm not uh, watching them right now. I'm in, I'm in the studio, John. I'm <laughs> focusing on the podcast I'm oh, recording. Oh, sorry. I didn't realize that we can't do it. Multitasking. Um, all right. So, yes, Hall of Fame ballot. First of all, Mark, I hope that you're wrong about what you say, and here's why with Beltran. That was the end of his career. Beltran was like a managerial uh, figure at the time with the Astros at that point. 70-war player in his career. You are right about voters. They're human beings. And we've seen, first of all, there's multiple steroid guys in the Hall of Fame. And there will be more. uh, And there will be more. I'm not going to name names because I don't have evidence per se on individual guys. But I think it's a fair assessment. What about Pig Boppy? I think it's fair to say, and I think you guys can both agree and listeners can agree as well, that there are five to ten guys in the Hall of Fame who used PEDs at some point and still got in because they were popular with voters. And if that's the case, and I'm going to pull up the ballot right now, and then I'll get to my real point I have for you guys, but okay, Manny Ramirez. Should be a Hall best, of Famer. The best right-handed hitter of our generation. The guy's a Hall of Famer. He's like, such a Hall of I watched it. Yep. You guys watched it. It doesn't matter what anyone else has to say, what anyone's opinion was. Manny Ramirez was incredible. How about Gary Sheffield? And trust me, he was a Yankee. He was a Brave. We have plenty of reason not to like Gary Sheffield. Yes. Gary Sheffield was one of the most intimidating hitters of his time. Did he throw Hit. balls away to get traded by the Brewers intentionally? That's what I've been told. <laughs> I don't know. But he was one of the best hitters of the generation. The guy should be in the Hall of Fame. Now, here is my take on this ballot because one of the names on it we kind of forget but he was really one of the best at his time that's francisco rodriguez 
Ooh, interesting. 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 That's a, I know because uh, I remember looking at his stats recently, yes. like within the last like two months or so. And yes. in terms of closers, and I think this is also a little bit of the timing and the fact that the closer position is still relatively new to the game of baseball, but he's he's up there. Not only is he up there, but he and Billy Wagner are both on this ballot. Wagner is a guy who it's insane. Yeah, it's insane. So before the show, I use the baseball reference player comparison tool, which is a great tool, especially for this time of year when these conversations are hot and raging. And this is what I'm going to be preaching at Thanksgiving dinner (laughs) is the following. (laughs) If you compare both. Billy Wagner and Francisco Rodriguez to the man who the reliever of the year award is named after and Trevor Hoffman in the national league, at least both of these guys have better adjusted ERAs in their career. And I know that's just one metric to go based off of, but they both had better adjusted ERAs than Trevor Hoffman and Hoffman was, was he a first ballot guy? No, he was I think not he first was a first ballot. No, he was not. What, no. Ballot, what, what ballot was he? I'll I'll get that for you, he, but I I know for a fact he's not first ballot um, because he, I I believe they made him. I don't want to say they made him sweat it out because that means like they don't like. No, him. I think they did make him sweat it out because he, he was like the first closer, closer, closer like to ever third get year, before Rivera. third year, third year he was okay out of ten. That's yes. pretty early on. That's pretty early on. If you compare, I mean, first of all, Billy Wagner is head and shoulders better than Trevor Hoffman across sure. the board. FIP, ERA plus, strikeout rate, walk rate, you name it. Billy Wagner needs to be in the Hall of Fame and he needs to be in the Hall of Fame right now. But my mm-hmm. point is that if, if Trevor Hoffman's in the Hall of Fame, K-Rod has a riveting Hall of Fame case. Riveting. And no one talks about it. No one remembers how good K-Rod was, and especially us Met fans, because he came here and things didn't go so well. And there was an incident or two. And we don't have to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> but Francisco Rodriguez... Low-key, when you compare him, Billy Wagner, Trevor Hoffman, is a Hall of Famer. I think, He's a Hall of Famer. I, I think the thing that's going to be tough with K-Rod, and I, I fully agree that Billy Wagner should be. I'm not necessarily sold on K-Rod, but this is also the weird thing where Baseball Hall of Fame gets into is you have compilers, and compilers right. get rewarded in baseball. Hoffman was a compiler. Correct. And it's like... I don't like Trevor Hoffman's slander because like he still is relatively one of the greatest closers ever because he was able to do it over that length of time more than anybody. Um, but at the same time, like it gets into that weird argument of, okay, so then are you giving guys the Hall of Fame vote because of a great prime or a great career? Because I think that's really what the argument comes down to too. And that's a big thing with a guy like Scott Rowland because like a guy who had sure. like a great prime. Overall career was great still, but is he a Hall of Fame career player? I think the thing that really drives this Hall of Fame vote, which is the most frustrating part, is it's almost totally about narrative, unless a player is like head and shoulders above everyone. Hoffman spent almost his entire career, bar of like, what, 50, 100 innings with the San Diego Padres. He was synonymous with the organization at at a time of relative success. He was squeaky clean. He was super cool. He was very nice. Like he, he just had. He just was. He like was closed. He he defined National League closers for a period of time. And that was also when guys weren't throwing particularly hard yet. He was able to mix up his speeds and his locations and do that. But then also again, a guy like Roland, who I think is strongly should be in the Hall of Fame. He was when he, when he wasn't once he went to the Cardinals, which was I think the bulk of his prime. He did have some of his best years early with the Phillies. He was very clearly never the best player in his team. That was a team that probably, which is kind of funny, just based on the talent they had, underachieved a, li- underachieved a little bit in terms of World Series wins. 
and his prime was kind of one of the like after one of the best years of his entire career, he ripped up, I believe it was his knee, and like lost that and would have been another probably six, seven, or eight war season. And then you look at the guy like Wagner, who changed teams multiple times, had arm issues, was a little bit more, I want to say, like rugged than a lot. Yeah. Then a guy like Trevor Hoffman, he was a little, you know, a little tougher. But I mean, we've met Billy Wagner. He's a, he's a genuine sweetheart. He's awesome. Let's yeah. get him on the podcast. Yeah. I'd love to get him on the podcast. A guy like K Rod, who John said had a bit of a checkered time. He also, when you, when you, when you sign a big contract like K Rod, you just have that burden of, I don't, need, I don't know. What's, what's the word I'm looking for? Burden of what? Burden of expectation. Yeah. And it kind of, it, yeah, it hurts your narrative more so than a guy like Hoffman who just like, he just was kind all, of, he, he just, was always just, the same. Just went right through it. Just got up and went to put a hard hat on and went to work. So well, that's fair. And I think this also brings up the same thing. It's like, then you have a guy like Andrew Jones, whose prime is one of the craziest, like for a center fielder. But he's, he is a Hall of Famer. Like, I think he's fringy, I, and I, I think they're going to let him in eventually, like at the end of the time. But then you also look at a guy like Andrew Jones, and you compare him with a guy like Kenny Lofton, who, while he didn't have as high of heights, he did it for longer, and he still had a couple of those fantastic years. When you look at their careers next to each other in terms of full career accolades, very similar wars yes. by the end of it. Like, that is another guy who it's, he dropped off the ballot so quickly. And was so talented and was such a force for a period of time, had great runs in the postseason. It's it's so it's so not it's just not a meritocracy how they figure this out. And that is the most frustrating part about this Hall of Fame stuff. Well, you have guys that just fill out blank ballots because they're like, Well, I'm I'm boycotting this era. So then don't vote. Don't vote. The well, people who get well, their the vote waste, it's annoying. Yeah. The system needs to be cleaned up. And this is what I really hope happens as our generation, people our age, you know, join the BBWAA. Like, what was it, 2012 or 13, when Dan Levitard famously turned in an empty ballot and then bragged about it. And I think yeah. he had his, his vote actually taken away. It's, it's those people. There are people that haven't covered the sport in a decade plus that Bob still Ryan. have votes. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's nothing against these people, these voters. But if you're not plugged in, you shouldn't have the say on this, because what you're doing is you're just devaluing the Hall of Fame. Like my point with Manny Ramirez I know Manny is one of the greatest hitters of all time. Yep. And if the voting body is going to tell me that he's not, I'm not going to pay attention to what the voting body has They're to wrong. say. I don't need them. Barry I don't Bonds. Need them to tell me. A Barry Rod. Bonds. Here's another one. Here's another one. And this is his last year on the ballot. And if he doesn't get in, it's Vito. You could bleep this. It's f***ed up. And it's Jeff Kent. Yep. Jeff I'm Kent with you. is the best hitting second baseman since they lowered the pitching mound. <laughs> Bar none. Bar none. It's not debatable. How is this guy in year 10? He's not in the Hall of Fame. I know. You know, the, the funniest thing about Jeff Kent is that there is one writer who for the last like three years, I can't remember his name, but Mark, remember I made that meme about him last year? He has the dumb hair. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, Dan I don't something. Dan Shaughnessy. It is Dan Shaughnessy. It is Dan Shaughnessy. He, for the last couple of years, has <laughs> only voted Jeff Kent his entire ballot. <laughs> Go Dan Shaughnessy. I like that. <laughs> Take it easy. John's no, that, rowdy. That still devalues the whole thing. I don't know. Ken, Ken is that good, but Ken's also a guy. He just he wasn't clean. He wasn't nice. He didn't have, a, he didn't have any any kind of career narrative people oh, he, did not like him at all he the was, reporters do not like jeff kent yeah he was wasn't he a villain on survivor wasn't he on survivor and everybody yeah hated he actually him was a villain too? on survivor yeah. yeah he was him and david like, sampson he's he's one of the few second basemen that's won an mvp like <laughs> he almost had 400 career home runs a second baseman yeah like that just doesn't really happen the, the, the second to last year of jeff kent's career the 127 wrc plus for the dodgers 2007 140 games 20 homers 80 runs 80 rbis 10 percent walks 11 percent strikeouts like that's when he was 39 39 really years old he did that he's really 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 good and i think like that late 90s to early 2000s everything gets clouded especially with the steroid era as it's now been deemed 
but that, that was baseball. And I don't feel like, especially, especially for the guys who have physically never tested positive. There was never a physical test. There was never a suspension. You can't punish them for what was happening. Cause then you're just missing a whole era of baseball, which was when me and James and John all fell in love with the game. A couple years and apart also, for John, but yeah. <laughs> I'm not that much older than you guys. And there's also a fact of like, there was still a best of the best. Like, I believe the first guy that actually failed a steroid test after baseball implemented its system was a slap-hitting center fielder named Alex Sanchez who played for, at the time, the Devil Rays. He was the first guy. Like, it was it was kind of sink or swim at the time, especially in the mid-'90s. I don't know how much you guys have read up on the topic. I've read a lot of these books that have come out about this topic over the years. And from what I've learned, what I've read, 75, I believe it's 75, 80% at a time of baseball was doing this stuff. And there was still a cream rising to the top. And it's incre- it's incredibly, it's buffoonery to try to punish these guys. Yeah. You know, I mean, Todd Helton's another one. Yes. Who I, I, te- I texted this to you guys. It's insane. I don't care that he played at Coors Field. He could have played on, on the moon for all I care. Todd Helton was one of the best hitters that we all grew up watching. Do you guys agree with that? Todd Helton is Todd Helton. The only reason I won't say he's one of the best is just because like I have like the bonds like that group. But Todd Helton is 100% one of the least appreciated players of that era. He's he gets like Larry Walker got no respect. Todd Helton gets whatever's less than no respect. He gets absolutely nothing. And I think it just comes back to like a lot of people just do oh course narrative blah 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 and just like scoot right past it. But just like also- they did with Arenado and oh he shut that down real quick. Yeah, like, DJ the core the course narrative is so tired now. It's so tired. It, it's also because there's so much data now that as much as Coors Field helps a player is playing in at that moment, it dra- it dramatically hurts you the second you leave. And this happens for Rockies players on a weekly basis. Like you have to go from Coors out of Coors, Coors out of Coors. Pitches move differently. The ball flies off the bat differently. You have to think you about see every curve single balls. thing. <laughs> I mean, it's like all completely different. So while yeah, of course you you look at Nolan Aaron, uh, you look at Todd Helton, you'd be like, well, he had like less than 100 OPS plus for his career outside the Coors Field. Like I would, that's the way they tear the guy down. He still had that's not they can't define a guy's career, and he was literally. One of the best baseball players like I saw ever when I was a kid. His road OPS was 855 for his career. I mean, it was, oh, we're talking a massive sample. Like this guy, this guy was one of the best players of his time. Yeah. And the fact that we are still having this debate about is Todd Helton a Hall of Famer? Like, get out of here. Of course he's a Hall of Famer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad, I'm glad we could get John riled up. We haven't seen John riled up in a while. It's, it's just, and it's this time every single year that this rolls around, we have the same stupid conversations. I, I'll never, I'll never get over this. And this is why, seriously, you know, I would love to go to the Hall of Fame with you guys, and I think yeah. it would be a great trip, and we could do a lot of great content there. But at the same time, a message to the Hall of Fame: get it together before you lose us all. Like yeah. we don't need you guys to tell us who the all-time greats are. No. We don't. We don't. We have our own brains to analyze and assess what we've watched for the last 10, 20 years, and that's it. So put the best players in. Move the agendas out of the way because you're playing favorites and you're you're saying, I'm going to pick on this guy for his transgression, but I like this guy. Like you said, James, he was nice to me. He talked to me after the game, so I'm not going to I'm not going to hold it against him. Another guy, another one, another one who belongs in the Hall of Fame. Ready for this one? Hit me. Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling belongs in the Hall of Fame. As a player, and 100%. Tr- I, 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 trust me. And trust me, I, I <laughs> do not see eye to eye with many things. <laughs> That Kurt yeah. Schilling thinks. And but as a player, 100%. He was awesome. 
No, he's statistically speaking, he's, he's one of the most dominant pitchers of his generation. It's just, we, I mean, I ranted about this last year, just when the poppy thing happened, because and I did the same thing a couple of years ago when, it had, when they gave Mariano the first ever 100%. The way that they move the line so often, it's so stupid. It makes it so ass backwards. They're impossible to trust. There's no possible way to really take what they do or say seriously, because they just, the goal line keeps moving around, keeps moving around. Big poppy's a guy who's literally, he has a, he has a positive test. It happened. And they were like, "Oh, he cursed that one time." Like, like <laughs> I and I think what gets lost. It was, in this it was too, a good. It was a good. By the way, it was like you. Like you said that uh, Johnny bleeps. You know, like it's a lot of politics, and there's a lot of like stuff that really doesn't matter that gets taken into account. Like, I feel like what gets lost too is that the Hall of Fame is made for the fans. It's supposed to be like essentially like a time capsule to like Wait. be able to look back at baseball. But Mark, did you see? Tom Perducci's self-produced video a couple years ago about him don't opening his palette with his personalized leather opener. Don't even and, get me started. And thinking in his office and spinning around and taking and it in. And that's what I'm saying is like the the way that or the it sh- you should like have pride in being a baseball Hall of Fame voter. I think that's like a really cool thing to have. Like I get to determine, but it shouldn't be like this thing that is like your whole personality and like you hold it against players. But that sentence is the most frustrating part of the process because this should be something that like you have thought about since you Correct. were a literal child. Like I get to vote for the baseball hall of fame. Like that's, I would like, love to be the first stoic. YouTuber to it's vote in, in the hall of fame. That would be pretty <laughs> cool. But like, it should be something that you take so seriously and you want to do everything you can to make sure you put the, be- like the best players in that. Some people are like, they go take it a little too far. Like there should be 10 guys on your ballot every single year. That's probably only true recently. Cause there's so many guys that consistently get left off, but you should really just be able to be completely objective, take away all bias and just vote for the baseball players who deserve to be in. And the, the riders have failed to do that year after year in our lifetimes. It's, it's so funny how we, us three, us four can have a conversation and look at this list and we can probably come up with relatively eight guys that we all agree on, but yet the writers for some reason are so far off. I don't, I don't know how something like that happens because let's be honest. I don't know if they have any, they can't possibly have much more knowledge than we know. Like, <laughs> you know, who's oh, in the no. hall of fame and who's pretty overrated. Who I'll, I'll just say it right now. Go for jo- it. John Smoltz. There you go. <laughs> God. How about Bill Mazeroski? I mean, look, way way before our time, but you look at his numbers. The guy's in the Hall of Fame for one reason. He hit a walk-off home run against the yeah. Yankees to win the 1960 World Series. Yeah. Joe Carter's not in the Hall of Fame. He hit a walk-off home run to win the World Series. You know, there's there's just so many, like you said, the goal line is moving. Like I said before, it's it's the voting pool that needs to be cleaned up. That's the issue right here. They need to take away votes from people that just do not have business voting they need to expand the voting pool to younger people from our generation who have a different who view the game through a different lens it's that simple viewing it through a different lens and being able to understand the steroid era and and digest it for what it was now i i have a question for you guys about one interesting name on this list who i've seen some chatter about and it's mark burley who, definitely not a Hall of no, Famer. Not a <laughs> Hall no, no chance. Not a Hall no. of Famer. Okay. All right. I, Won 200 games. And I know, you know, obviously the win is an antiquated statistic. Five-time All-Star, World Series champion, threw a perfect game. And I know that these are, you know, kind of like cherry, cherry-picked bullet points. But you don't see too many guys accomplishing the things that Burley did. So he, he was kind of interesting to me. Maybe the Hall maybe the Hall very good. What about Bobby Abreu? Does he low-key have a better case than people give him? I think Bobby Abreu does low-key have a better have a better chance people give him credit for because like his like, but he's more of I'm the gonna guy. say this though. What before you, I'm and maybe this will fit into what you're saying. 
Bobby Abreu, I think, is a guy that looks better now when we look at all the stats that he actually was was as a player. And I think that's really important was how actually was he as a player in that time? Because I know like it was a loaded era of talent and maybe he did get lost in the shuffle. But I think that also speaks to that he's not one of those all-time greats. Like I, I can, I can tell the story of baseball for centuries and not once mention Bobby Abreu. Besides when he won the home run derby, like <laughs> yeah, big round. He did a Comerica, tough place yeah. at home runs at. <laughs> so that's why I, I don't no. see Bobby. I, I do agree with that. I, I just my point was that he has a case rather than being a guy who I'd be like, yeah, slam dunk has it. I mean, he was he was really good in his prime. He just didn't. He was never. The thing about Abreu is that he was like very clearly never the best player in the league. He was definitely never the best player in his position. He like he wasn't even on all the All Star teams. Like he like that's you got it. Bobby Bray was only a two a two time All Star. Like I feel like you really need to be a little bit. And that's also because the teams he was on there was always a better guy. So that's also part of this whole Hall of Fame thing. It's why the All Star thing is always there's always so many weird little caveats that play into this Hall of Fame debate and why it, it gets so frustrating when the writers just go cavalier do something stupid. Yeah. Well, the problem the problem with Abreu is that if we're going to say Manny Ramirez can't be in the Hall of Fame, and for most of their careers they didn't play in the same league, but let's just say for argument's sake they did. Manny gets the All Star nod because he's the better outfielder than Bobby Abreu at the time. But now we're going to say that Manny can't be in the Hall of Fame because he was doing steroids and cheating. <laughs> so I have never heard a single accusation about Bobby Abreu using PEDs. So if we're going to penalize the guys that we are so convinced we're cheating the entire time. Don't we then log- logically have to elevate the guys who were not cheating at the same time? I think logistically speaking, that does make sense. As we uh, as we know, uh, the baseball writers don't ever make sense. <laughs> it's just like the fact that Billy Wagner, who was like an all-time great reliever in terms of his rate stats, he was very dominant, can't give in at all. Yet Marion Rivera, who was the first guy to ever get 100%. Yeah. Like the fact Once that- you call Rivera in August, say it again. Oh, it popped we- me. You well, call, what was it? I don't like remember. A failed starter? I don't know. You oh, know, yeah, he was a failed starter. Mariano Rivera, uh, failed starter. 100% uh, of the Hall of Fame. That's uh, exactly what it was. It's so, funny. It's so funny. It's true. It's true. I mean, I, I said we, that to a Yankee fan. <laughs> to be, I know we're, uh, we're going off on the Hall of Fame, and it's been great. But it, what's going to be more interesting, honestly, I think as we go with the podcast, is like we're going to start to see some ballots soon. We can start dissecting some people's ballots and really having some fun. Yeah. I mean, hey, that's how the show yeah. was built on just – Making fun of writers. Yeah, we did. A, we did. A, we did our fair share of that as we we're reminiscing on episode number one fifty. We got to bring Vito in now too because we got we got some Thanksgiving stuff. We got we got to talk about Thanksgiving, the holidays coming up in just a few days. Uh, actually, tomorrow for those of you who are listening to this, because you will hear it on Wednesday. And you know, it's 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 a good time to reflect and talk about some things you're thankful for. Vito showing off the chest hair. Thanks for bringing me in, guys. I mean. I had to open up my jacket a little. It was getting hot in here while I was down yeah. in the shadows, but I think I'm going to keep it open for the rest of the episode if that's okay with you guys. I mean, you got a good Italian name in Vito. That's like that's the Italian look too, the unzippered quarter zip. Oh, I mean, no, this off. is a track jacket. This isn't a quarter zip. Oh, I mean, okay, track jacket, even more. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
So, as All you guys right. know, we like to have some fun over here. We like to play some games, and we figured let's do something with Thanksgiving, since there's not really much baseball to talk about. We're going to go around and say one thing that's overrated about Thanksgiving, one thing that's underrated about Thanksgiving. Do it all in the same time so that we have it. Uh, should I start since I was the one who introduced it? Would you guys like me to start? Sure. Yeah. Overrated. It's, it's, it's so overrated that maybe it's underrated, but it's, it's overrated, and it's turkey. Turkey's trash. Mm. Turkey's awful. I'm gonna have uh, a pick that's gonna that's gonna expand on this, but keep okay. going. Doesn't matter how you cook it. Doesn't matter if you deep fry it, if you season it, if you do this or that. There's a reason you only eat turkey once a year. It's for Thanksgiving. It's trash. Turkey is not good. Like you shouldn't have turkey burgers. You shouldn't have anything else. Turkey. Turkey besides burgers on are good. Thanksgiving. Yeah, sure. Eat a regular good. burger like a normal person, and then you. What about be a like, turkey, turkey leg, Mark? Thing. What about a turkey leg? The dark. I'll meat just, of the, of the I just I just I just prefer other meats. Turkey was, legs are fine. I was about to say my pick. Let's just all go around, give one, and keep going around and give another one. My underrated thing is Thanksgiving is dark meat turkey. Dark mm. meat turkey is quite good. It's succulent. It, it's it's got a good meal. As long as you're, you're making the turkey right. I don't know everyone's family is making this turkey, but as long as it's not overcooked, it's going to be very juicy. goes really well with the gravy and the stuffing and everything. I think dark meat turkey is quite good. I want to say all turkey. Right. I'm, I'm team Mark. Not a fan of turkey at Thanksgiving. I don't know about you, James, but... Every holiday I do with an Italian family, there's a full Italian spread, and then whatever holiday, like Thanksgiving, there's a turkey that's out that doesn't really get touched, but it's there. <laughs> it's invited to the party. We, we that used to happen when I was younger, but now it's like it's invited to the party. We do like half, like a half Italian. Like there'll be a couple Italian dishes mixed in, but it's mostly like the Thanksgiving Americana stuff. Oh, ours is the table setting at the most. I mean, my <laughs> my underrated though. I'm going to go with the vegetables. I mean, I am a big Brussels sprouts guy, and I think Brussels mm. sprouts, when prepared correctly on Thanksgiving, pair so beautifully. Yeah, I'm not a big vegetables guy. There's not many vegetables in my diet. Probably should be. I'm 26 years old now. Probably should eat a couple, but eh, I, I'm, I'm, really, I'm in on the mashed potatoes a little. When I could have mac and cheese, that was a must, and stuffing mm. and ham is always the goat. John? All right. So, I mean, I'm going to say something that's underrated in my opinion, but it might not be a very uh, traditional uh, Thanksgiving meal in, in many homes, but it's it's truffle mac and cheese. Ooh. Um, actual truffle? I need the tr actual <laughs> truffle. Actual well, truffle. You have what? a truffle mushroom that you're shaving off into this thing, John. <laughs> He's shaving well, truffles. Well, it's not me. It's not me. I, do, you have somebody I, at your, do you have somebody at your Thanksgiving that has a truffle mushroom? That's like a, that's a, that's a lot of money per gram. That is, or we that is an expensive mac flavor. and cheese. No, I'm talking real truffles. Like I need, I need I a truffle. Go to the Baron household butter. for Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, right. John's coming over to my house for New Year's. Let's go to John's for Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> truffle mac and cheese. No, it's uh, it was introduced. Um, my father-in-law makes it every year. And um, yeah, it's fantastic. He did it one year. And then the next year, he like kind of forgot about it. And I was like, Gary, what do you mean you forgot about it? It was the best thing I've ever eaten in my life. And, you know, I'm not a big mac and cheese guy 364 days out of the year. Um, but that's one, that's one day where I will absolutely splurge on it wholeheartedly. So I don't think you forgot about it. I think he couldn't take out his small business loan. <laughs> John's like Will Ferrell and the other guys are like, no, I was very much looking forward to the water. <laughs> I would say my underrated thing, and this is, this is going to be really, really niche, but I have good reasoning why. So everyone talks about football. You love football on Thanksgiving. I do, but you know what I love about the football games on Thanksgiving? The halftime shows. The halftime mm. show is electric. And there's one in particular Creed. that always comes to mind, and it's Creed. When Creed was flying across uh, Cowboys yeah. Field, that is <laughs> one of the good. best gifts of all time. And you only get moments like that during the 15-minute halftime show at Thanksgiving. 
That's All pretty right, good. You know, you know what I think is underrated on Thanksgiving? It's again, it's not a food thing. I like the lane that you just took this into. I like when I go somewhere and they have the Friends Thanksgiving marathon on TV. I'm not Ooh, a big Friends guy. That's so Friends weak. put out a great Oh, dude, they put out a great <laughs> so they put out a great <laughs> Thanksgiving thing. They invented the Friendsgiving era. I that part, that part okay. is actually true. I'll give you credit for their cultural impact, but this, to say it's good content is, is <laughs> I don't incorrect. think it's good. Well, their Thanksgiving episodes are, I mean, you got a head, you got a turkey on somebody's head dancing around. <laughs> how can you not, how can you not have a ball when you're watching that? But friend, I don't even like friends, James. Be good. It's good that, that like that catalog pales in comparison to the office's Christmas catalog. Yeah. Well, it's hard Every single office Christmas. Christmas episode is a complete banger. They get one gets better than the next. It's incredible. I uh, I'm in this direct shot, John, but it's like different because I'm not like I'm not super wealthy with the truffles and everything. My overrated Thanksgiving thing is mac and cheese. It's just no, I don't. No, 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 I feel no. I just feel no desire for them Thanksgiving at all. I've never been a big mac and cheese guy anyway, and now I can't eat either of the things that make up mac and cheese. But it was always just like maybe it was a function of my body not being able to digest and made me tired and more full than I thought I ever would could possibly be. But it's just like I don't know if you get the, if the mac and cheese is like too soft. It's like this just ruined the whole meal. Like give well, me give get, me the fun stuff. You got to have the baked mac and cheese, so you put in the yeah. tin, you get some breadcrumbs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's we're not animal. I know, but to hate mac and cheese, to call it overrated, no, that's not I, animal. I think it's a little overrated. Okay, well, right. the thing is that there's there's so many variations of mac and cheese that it's it's a tough it's a tough thing to call overrated underrated really because there's so many different like I said ways you can prepare. All right, yeah, I've got you a could good have one. truffles. You could have gold you in your truffles. mac and cheese. You can have a lot of different things. Right, I've got a good one. I've got a good one. Obviously, football owns the day, right? But what I think is underrated about Thanksgiving is all the other sports that are going on on Thanksgiving. Hmm. And I say that in a little bit of a a degenerative way. I have have a guess. I have a guess. Is hockey on during Thanksgiving and no one gives a love? No. Okay, Okay, no. No. So usually every team plays on Wednesday. And then there might be one game between a couple Canadian teams on Thursday night. But it's very rare. Sometimes the league goes dark. Usually Europa League has games all day. Now, this Thanksgiving, we are blessed. And we, it, hasn't, it hasn't come up once, and I don't know how, but we are blessed with World Cup action. That's incredible, and it's a heck of a lot better than Lions football, although the Lions are an entertaining team this season. But on top of the Europa League football each and every Thanksgiving, there's also low-key good college basketball games on Thanksgiving. There's always the, the tournament going, um, what is it? The, the place Maui the Invitational? Yeah. Maui Invitational. And then Battle you also for Atlantis? Have Battle for Atlantis, and you always have a couple of matchups between ranked teams. There are great sports. Like, parlaying the football games is boring. You know, you have usually the Lions stink. The Cowboys are always going to let you down. The Sunday night or the night game, who knows. But when you get the college hoops involved, now we're cooking up parlays. Cooking with gas. <laughs> so it's all the other sports on Thanksgiving that I actually think is underrated. Doesn't get enough love. The football is the overrated part. How about that? Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. I mean, we didn't we didn't talk much about the World Cup. But this is a baseball podcast. I got to assume that the Venn diagram of baseball fans and soccer fans is maybe about ten people that listen to this podcast. So might be tough, but I will say, World Cup is awesome. You should watch it. Yeah, World Cup's electric, and the the time difference with is it Qatar or Cutter? Do we know? Qatar. Yeah, I think it's Qatar. Cutter. Qatar. No, it's, no, it's refined people say Cutter. Cutter. Yeah, all right, okay. sure. Truffle, yeah, truffle, like truffle, truffle, truffle. Virus versus COVID nineteen. Johnny Truffles. Johnny, Johnny Truffles. Johnny Truffles actually a good one, but. The time it's difference is great. Here's the truffle man. Did you just dox your father-in-law? <laughs> Gary Truffles. <laughs> you can't you gotta believe that one, Vito. Well, I mean, unfortunately, we won't be able to spend 
Thanksgiving with the Mets up boys will be with the family, but of course, hope you guys have a happy Thanksgiving. Hope everyone enjoys it. Same thing with the Mets up listeners. Hope you guys have a good time. Everybody stay safe. Be careful with frying the turkeys. Of course, yeah. always very dangerous. And be careful Wednesday night. Of course, always be careful Wednesday night, amateur night. And Friday. And Friday morning, Black Friday shopping. Yes. yes. Oh, I'll definitely that, be careful Black Friday it's my, shopping. It's a minefield. That, by a, the way. be online at the truffle store. That might be. <laughs> Black Friday shopping is the most overrated thing. They, it's now yeah, like a month. I said that. Black it's, Friday. I mean, it's just like. Uh, oh, I thought we John were loves the, episode, the rush. But I had to debate you. It's, it's not the rush. Okay, it's the rush. <laughs> <laughs> it's the rush. The competition. It's the rush. I just love the smell of a Best Buy on a Friday after a Thanksgiving. Oh, God. There's just nothing better. You animals shopping in store, at in person at stores when you can just buy things online. My, my aunts no, will I, go out like after dinner and like start get, get ready. It's crazy. I, I, I didn't do to Best Buy in eight years. You got to go, Vito. It's great. <laughs> it's great. You're missing out. You'll fall in love again. But when right. they made Black Friday into into Thanksgiving Thursday, that was that was a that was a bridge too far for me. Just saying. Oof. All right, I'm done. I'm I'm, I'm done. sure we could have John go on about that. John, you guys saw him rant today for the first time in a while, so I'm sure he could go on about Black Friday shopping forever. But let's go ahead and wrap this episode up with just a few quick things here. Uh, we want to talk about something cool that happened in baseball, especially because it has to do with the Mets. Uh, the first ever girl or woman female to be active on a D woman. Yeah. D one roster for baseball uh, at university of Brown. Shout out to Olivia. I hope I'm pronouncing your last name, right? Pichardo, Olivia Pichardo. I also believe that she has interned with the New York Mets, which is really cool. So, I mean, breaking, breaking barriers here. First ever uh, woman to be on an active D one roster in men's baseball. That's pretty sick. That's all. That's awesome. Yes, and then one more piece of Thanksgiving uh, newskeeping. Mr. Met will have a float in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, oh. which is just hilarious and shocking at the same time. Nice. Wow. That's true? Wow, that's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, and I guess right. last piece of uh, news breaking before we get out of here, as Drupal Cabrera lit somebody up rounding first base in the Winter League. <laughs> yeah, that was an amazing. <laughs> Let me tell you. That gave me flashbacks to when Gabby Sanchez uh, clotheslined Niger Morgan after Chris Volstad mm. threw at him. Those are three extremely niche names that I just dropped, but it's a fight I'll never forget. One of the best ever, as Drupal did not take well to the bat flip in the Winter League, whichever league he's in, and he absolutely lit this, lit this guy up. It was It's must-watch. If, you, if you're watching the YouTube video, I think it might maybe pop up on here. If not, go search for it on Twitter. We tweeted out on Mets stuff. It was awesome. All right, so that's where we'll wrap up the episode, guys. Thank you mu- so much for listening and watching however you did it. Make sure you follow us on all our social media, at MetsUp on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. YouTube video will be on the New York Mets channel. Go subscribe over there. And if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, download, subscribe, drop us a rating, drop us a review. We really do appreciate it. Follow James on Twitter at James underscore Shiano. We're, we're talking some of Twitter. We're trying to get James Shiano back. <laughs> there we go. All right, good moves, good moves. And... Me at Giraffe Neck Mark with a C. Thank you guys for listening and watching, and we'll catch you after the holidays for our next episode. Peace out. Go blue. Peace out, guys. Thanks for listening. Go Bucks. Get up. Get, get up. Get up.